All right, well, good morning. Hope everybody's doing well. As you saw in the video, uh, don't be fooled by the beautiful scenery. That is a hard trip to go on, uh, but it is worth it. And God's grace is in that ocean, I'll tell you. So it's awesome. Uh, so anyways, uh, just so you know, that our, you heard from, from Jeff, our family on a mission is, is coming home for a, a little bit of uh, furlough, so a little bit of a break. They're actually coming home with our team that's arriving today at 5. Hallie, don't forget to pick Jason up, okay? Uh, so, and Priscilla, I think Mike, and Mike, yeah, all those people. There's people to be picked up. Don't forget, I'm not doing that today. Um, so... Anyways, my name is Brian Lamb. I don't know if I've introduced myself. If I haven't got a chance to meet you, I hope I, I get that honor. Um, I have the, the privilege of serving here at Solid Rock as the pastor of community and missions. I know it's weird that the guy before me said that, and that's because uh, I announced back in December uh, of my departure and stepping out of this position and, and taking a, a call uh, from God to, to serve at Omni Fellowship in Cedar Hill, Texas. And uh, a lot of emotions about that while very excited and thrilled for what God has next for us in that role. Still very saddened that I have to leave a place that I love so uh, dearly. But today is a, is a joy for me uh, to be able to have the opportunity from God to, to open his word one more time with you guys before I leave at the end of this month. And so um, as I said back in December, it, it truly is and has been a privilege and honor of my life to be able to serve this church um, and all of you for over a decade or so. And uh, I just pray that God continues the amazing work that he has begun here and, and, and have seen evidence of that already in God providing um, Nick Hill for, for this church to take over this position. Um, and so I just want you guys to know how, and many of you that know Nick, you know this, how truly blessed Saul Rock is to have somebody of his caliber, uh, somebody who serves with such love and humility and grace. And so I'm excited to, to see from a distance and hear all that God does through Nick's ministry um, and, and know that, that this, place, this place is blessed to have him here. So uh, today we're going to continue in our three-part series on the, the Solid Rock vision. Uh, you hear this in the vision video. If you get here on time, you'll hear the video. Uh, and it's to, uh, our, The vision is to make disciples through Jesus by gathering in worship, growing together in community, and living the mission in our everyday lives. And so I can tell you as somebody who is around and involved in crafting that statement uh, that we weren't just looking for some uh, creative, cool, catchy theme, a, a, a statement to make, or something good for the, for the video. That's genuinely our hope here at Solid Rock. That, that as we gather in worship, as you grow in community with one another, as we live the mission, that, that, that um, we would be people in a church that makes much of Jesus Christ, that, that disciples are being made, that God's glory would be evident here at this church. And so uh, Jason started this a couple weeks ago uh, as he preached on what it means to gather in worship, that we would come together to behold the glory of our Father. And then Nick preached a wonderful sermon last week about biblical community and the, the importance of our growth as Christians in community with one another. And so they've put me in here to, to close it out, okay? And so that's what I'm going to attempt to do today as we look at what it looks like to, to live the mission in our everyday lives outside of these walls, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our community, and in the world around us. So if, will you guys pray with me real quick before we open the scriptures? Father, we come to you uh, just asking for you to, to do a work here today. Father, would you open our eyes and our ears and our, our hearts to hear the truth of your word that we might be changed in this moment. 
Father, would you encourage us and convict us, Father, to, to be able to, um, to live out what this looks like to live the mission in our everyday lives. Father, we pray for your spirit to descend upon this place and, and to make your words come alive in our hearts and in our lives. Father, will you humble me in this moment and use me as your servant? Father, that I would preach um, not for my gain, but for your glory. Father, we pray all this in your son's most holy name. Amen. So, Usually when we begin to talk about the, the mission of the church, um, we, we tend to think about these events, these programs, these activities that take place, the trips we go on, right? And, and while all those are fantastic things, they're, they're needed, um, if, if we emphasize those things, though, first, then we can easily forget the point of what missions is, and it just becomes an event that we do rather than a lifestyle that we live, where we become a church that has a lot of, honestly, lifeless programs. Many things to do, but few people who actually do them. And so, really what we need to understand for this outward mission to take place is the inward core motivation of why we are to do the mission, uh, which I hope to accomplish today. Uh, I love the phrase we use here, living the mission in our everyday lives, um, because it causes us to view missions as not just a trip or a program or an activity or something, um, some event that we go to, but as a part of our very lifestyle, a part of our identity as a church, a part of our DNA as Christians. And so today, as we look at God's word, my hope is that he would open our hearts and our eyes to see the beauty of what he has done in us, that, that, that missions would not just be some event or program or trip, but they would be a part of who we are in Christ, our very identity, that we would see how it's engraved into our DNA as born-again believers. And so if you'll open your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that comes right after 1 Corinthians, just in case you need to know that. Um, and if you don't have a copy of God's Word, we have Bibles underneath the, the seat below you, and so we would love for you to take that home as our free gift to you. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 is where we will start. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 17, says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. See, in this passage, we see a beautiful truth of the new life we have in Christ, a, a new identity to rest in, a new purpose to live out, that, that everything we once were has now changed by the power of God in Christ. And, and to truly understand all that this new life entails and what this has to do with living the mission, we, we need to start by being captured and amazed and in awe of what God has done for us in Christ. And so this passage begins 
by Paul stating that every person who is in Christ, who has placed his or her faith in Jesus, has become a new creation. And so this concept of being a new creation implies that we have a new state of being, a new life, a new community, a new future, a new hope as a part of the new heavens and the new earth that will one day come at the return of Christ. And so from that monumental statement, he then though is quick to make sure that we understand that this is not a work that has come from ourselves, but it is a powerful and mighty work of God's grace towards you in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 18. It says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And then verse 19, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And so he makes that beautiful statement of being a, a new creation in Christ, and then he quickly shows us that it is God alone, through Christ alone, where, that is the new source for this new life. And so he's saying there that, that every dimension of salvation comes from God's divine grace and will for you. That new life in Christ is only possible because God has made it possible. That God is the one who has acted. That God has initiated this as he inaugurates his new covenant where he makes reconciliation possible between him and sinful humanity. Making it possible in and through Christ where he, he no longer looks at us and judges us based off of our trespasses, but he looks upon us with favor. Verse 21, Paul gives us more insight on this magnificent work of God in Christ. As he says, for our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Verse 21 is showing us that Christ, who knew no sin, who is completely perfect, actually became the object of God's wrath and bore the penalty of sin in your place and my place. I want you to try to wrap your minds around this. That not only did Jesus, who knew no sin, become the substitute for sin, that not only the, the, the Son of God, who is perfect and blameless, freely give his life as a sacrifice for ours, but as the perfect substitute and sacrifice, he also gave us his own righteousness that we needed to be able to stand before a holy and just God. This verse is a beautiful summary of the great exchange that takes place in the gospel of Christ, where our sin is put upon Christ, and he, he gives us his righteousness. He imputes or credits us, not only with innocence, but with the righteousness needed to stand before a holy God. Not only with a, with a pardon for sin, but with the perfection of his own life. He not only stands condemned in our place, bearing the penalty of our sin, but he also fulfills the demands of the law on our behalf that we would be righteous. I mean, do, you, do you see what's happening here? You see how glorious this is? That, that Jesus, he not only died the death that you should have died, he lived the life that you should live. At the core of the good news of Jesus is this great exchange where we are drastically transformed from unrighteous to righteous from sinners to saints, from orphans to God's adopted children, from enemies with God to now co-heirs with Christ. 
See, Paul's showing us that our reconciliation with God that gives us this new life has come only from God in Christ alone because there's nowhere else and no one else that it could have come from. This is how Jesus can make earth-shattering statements that no one comes to the Father except through me, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's saying that I alone can give you new and permanent right standing with God as a new creation in the new heavens, in the new earth, in the divine court of God. Paul's showing us that through Christ, God has restored peace with us. Harmony has come back to our relationship. He's made it possible for us to be in relationship with God. He wants to grab our attention off of ourselves, off of the world around us, that we might gaze at the beauty of what God has done in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The only one who can transform us into new life. And so these statements in 18 and 19 and 21, as Paul describes this new life, are meant to create delight in us, affection, awe in our souls for God. Ephesians 1 uh, is another place where Paul shows us in even more detail the, the blessings of this new life with Christ. You can turn there with me, but I'm gonna hit them pretty quick. And so in verse four of Ephesians one, it says that in Christ, we are holy and blameless before God. In verse five, it says that in Christ, we are adopted as sons and daughters of God. In verse seven, that in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, and have been lavished with God's grace. Verse 11 says that in Christ you and I have obtained an inheritance. In verse 13 it says that in Christ we have been sealed by the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of that inheritance. And so Paul, what you're telling me through the scriptures is that even though we who have turned away from a holy and just God, we who have rebelled against God's kingdom, who are enemies to his will and destined for his just and righteous punishment, that God doesn't deal with us according to our trespasses, but that in Christ we are forgiven. Not just forgiven, sorry, made righteous. Wait, 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 more. He has, he has adopted us into his family. You're a son, you're a daughter that he's made you a member of his kingdom, that he's given you an eternal inheritance, that it's being guaranteed and, and, and guarded by the power of the Holy Spirit, where we are now co-heirs with Christ. You, you mean that we're brought into a relationship with God, the creator of all things, where we get to call him Father, and he calls us his children. And Paul would look at me and say, yeah, do you see how sweet this new life is? Do you see the magnitude of all that God has done for us in Christ? Do you see how, how glorious this is? How this creates delight and joy and affection in our souls for God as a new creation? Many of you know um, that last year the Lamb family got a little bigger. Uh, we, I didn't gain more weight, but uh, we did adopt two girls. And uh, Isabel and Emma, and we had the privilege of being able to do that. And <clears throat> they had a, a pretty rough time before they got to us. Um, not only their biological parents but, and other family members, but the people who were actually supposed to foster them uh, before us all abused them. And, and I've always thought about what it would be like to be able to talk with the man who fostered them before us. Um, and, and what I'd ever say to him if I saw him um, in, in public or something like that. And, and, and you know, I've actually had a few people, as I've talked with them, uh, look at me like dead serious, and they look at me and they're like, I know a guy. 
He can get the job done if you know what I mean. <laughs> and I'm thinking, yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, but, I, you know, I just kind of want to see how far they'll go with this. So I play along, and I'm like, no, I, I don't know what you mean. What do you mean by that? Uh, I'm just kidding. What I actually tell them is, is like, that's, that's the last thing I want. Um, you know, yes, justice needs to, be, t- needs to happen here, but that doesn't mean his life gets taken from him. Um, I talk to him about how I've forgiven him for what he's done to our girls. And because I want them to know that as a Christian, we can forgive even the ugliest of sins because God has done that for us in Christ. And so as I was preparing um, on Tuesday morning, knowing that I was going to preach about reconciliation, um, this situation God put on my heart. I was talking with Allie later that afternoon and um, just about what it would be like to be able to talk to him and forgive him. And, and uh, not 15 minutes later, we get a call from the DA. And he tells us that we're going to have an opportunity to speak at his sentence hearing. And so I looked at Allie and I was like, yeah, I want to I do that. I want to speak at that. I want him to know that what he did was wrong. I want to know that he hurt our little girls. But more than anything, I want him to see and to hear the grace of Jesus Christ through me saying, I forgive you, and more importantly, that God forgives you. And so as I thought about all this later, um, as I was preparing and all this, you know, and I knew I'm going to have that, no, I'm going to have that opportunity, I started thinking about it. I was like, it's, you know, it's, it's one thing for me to go to this sentence hearing and say, I forgive you. It's a whole other thing to let him into my home let him have a seat at my table, to let him be a part of our family, to let him share in my inheritance, and yet that is exactly what God has done for you in Christ and me in Christ, that he has been gracious to us, that despite our sin, that, 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 that where I deserve nothing but his wrath and his punishment against me, that instead he has been merciful Do you realize that he has rescued you from the domain of darkness and transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son? Are you overwhelmed by what God has done for you? Because as we are overwhelmed by him, and this is what this passage is talking about, is we are captured by the truth of what God has done for us in Christ as those who have been reconciled and adopted and are co-heirs with Christ. We begin to see that along with this new life, this changed status with God where we have a relationship with him comes a changed purpose in life, which is exactly what we see next in the passage, that from the good news of Jesus Christ who has reconciled our broken relationship with the Father comes this purpose and this passion to see reconciliation happen in the world around us. And so you'll see it even in verse 17, he talks about how we are united to Christ and the old life is past and behold, there's this new life that comes. But he's not just talking about future things here. Um, Not just talking about our place in the new heavens, the new earth and as uh, heirs with Christ, but he's also referring to the radical reorientation of our lifestyle that comes here and now in this life. That when a person becomes a Christian by faith, that God totally restructures their life, altering its whole fabric, that everything changes, their thoughts, their feelings, their actions, their will. That that old person that was totally bent towards sin and all of those things is now gone in the grave and a new creation has come that is built upon the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That that Jesus says it this way in John 3 to Nicodemus, that, that we are born again. In Romans 6, Paul says that we are no longer slaves to sin, but now slaves to righteousness. And he shows us this truth throughout the entire passage in verse 18. 
It says, for those who are reconciled to God by the work of Jesus Christ, that they become an instrument in the hands of God to be ministers of that same reconciliation towards others. In verse 19, Paul shows us that God's reconciliation is worldwide. It's global, meaning that his ultimate purpose and end is to extend reconciliation to the nations of the earth. That the gospel would unite people from every ethnicity, every social class, every economic background to God. And the way that he's doing that is through his messengers, those who he has reconciled. As you look at the end of verse 19, it says he, he has entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. And then at the beginning of verse 20, Paul refers to us as ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador is one who represents a nation or a kingdom, a messenger who represents this higher authority than themselves. And so Paul's saying that we are to represent the kingdom of Christ to the nations of the earth. He then goes on to say in that same verse that God is making his appeal to others through us. How crazy is that? That we are to then speak on God's behalf, imploring others to be reconciled to God, which means to beseech or to beg others to be united to Christ. And so what Paul is showing us here is that in our new life with Christ, that God has invited us into his majestic plan to reconcile sinners to himself through Christ, that he's called you off of the sidelines and he's put you in the game. That God is making his kingdom visible on earth as he works in and through us who are sinners to display his goodness and his glory to a broken world where we are not just partakers in redemption, but we are messengers of redemption to the brokenness around us. See, God's mission strategy for the world is the transforming power of Christ and sinners. That's it. It is God's, God's people would be so overwhelmed by this new life in Christ that they become then representatives, messengers, ambassadors of God where they implore and they beg and they plead with others about this peace treaty that God has made possible through Jesus Christ to us. And this, brothers and sisters, is what we are made for. This is what we are made for. See, in Christ, God is restoring what was broken and fractured in the fall. When sin and death entered into the world, that, that, that as we are reconciled to God, we would live in such a way that we are meant to live as image bearers that reflect the glory of God throughout the earth. So there's a, a, a musical that's very near and dear to my heart called Les Miserables. Anybody ever heard of that? Some of us. Oh, there's more fans. Come on. Hey, we can talk. We're, we're friends. Les Mis. Yeah. So my dad introduced this uh, musical to me back when I was in high school or middle school, and I fell in love with it. Fell in love with the music and the story. My sister and I, we, we would sing all the parts as he had it blaring in the car on the way on many of our road trips. You know, you don't find many people jamming out to Les Mis, but that's just how the Lamb family rolls, you hear me? So, in the beginning of Les Mis, there's this, uh, there's this character, Jean Valjean, the main character. And he's released from prison after serving 20 years for stealing a loaf of bread. You want to talk about a broken justice system, that's it right there. And so, he's out on parole and he has a hard time making money and he's on the street and, and this bishop finds him and he invites him in um, to stay the night with him and he feeds him and he gives him a bed and he gives him a roof over his head. And, and, and uh, in the middle of the night, Jean Valjean steals some of the bishop's silver and he runs away. 
and he gets obviously caught by the police because that's just what happens, I guess. Um, but he gets caught, and, and they're like, what are you doing with this silver? You're a criminal. You shouldn't have this. And he says, the good bishop gave it to me, even though that was a lie, right? And so right then, the bishop shows up. He's on the scene. And uh, he says, yes, yes, that's right. I did give it to him, but my friend, you left the best behind. And he gives him the best of the silver from his house. And he tells the officers to leave. He's got this. We're all good here. And he looks at Jean Valjean and he says this. He says, my brother, see in this some higher plan. You must use this precious silver to become an honest man. By the witness of the martyrs, by the passion and the blood, God has raised you out of darkness. I have saved your soul for God. And so while I may want to chat it up with the, with the good bishop about some nuances of that theological statement and remind him who actually saves who. Um, that's not the point here. The point is the next part. The, the, this, this amazing thing that happens in the life of Jean Valjean is you see him wrestling with what's just happened to him. And he says, why did I allow this man to touch my soul and to teach me love? He treated me like any other. He gave me his trust. He called me brother. My life he claims for God above. Can such things be? For I had come to hate the world, this world that always hated me. And I am reaching, but I fall. And the night is closing in. And I stare into the void, to the whirlpool of my sin. And I'll escape now from the world, from the world of Jean Valjean. Jean Valjean is nothing now. Another story must begin. It's so much better when you hear them sing it than me tell it. But in this moment, Jean Valjean's life changes. He, he's a changed man here. And, and we see that throughout the story. He, he adopts uh, the daughter of Fantine, one of his employees who dies. He, he spares the life of Javert, the officer that's out to get him throughout the entire story. He, he rescues Mary as his daughter's husband-to-be. He, he lives in such a way that he expresses this love that he found from God through the good bishop's actions towards him. And, and at the end of his life, as he knows he's about to be face-to-face -face with God, there's this beautiful line that he says where he says, to love another person is to see the face of God. To love another person is to see the face of God. See, when Jesus came, he came to preach good news to sinners. But he also came to serve sinners as well. See, Jesus' ministry is one that was both a, a prophetic word of the kingdom and of humble service to sinners. He, he ministered both spiritually and Physically, we see that, that Jesus, he spiritually heals us, the blind, as he tears down the veil between us and God that we might see the glory of God and be in his presence. Yet he also physically heals the blind man in John 9 to reveal the glory of the Father. We, we, we see that, that Jesus spiritually makes all of us clean who were once unclean, and yet he physically hear, uh, heals the uh, unclean woman in Matthew 9. That Jesus spiritually came to feed the hungry, and he also physically fed the 5,000. That he came to spiritually bring together people of all ethnicities, all social classes, all uh, backgrounds into one covenant community of God's people. But he also physically spent time with the Samaritan woman at the well, and he often crossed racial, social, and economic barriers of that day. Jesus Jesus came to spiritually set us free from the bondage to our sin, and yet he also rescued the prostitute by saying, you without sin be the first to throw a stone. Do you see the life of Jesus? 
I want to be clear with what I'm saying. We, we know from God's word that his primary reason for coming to earth was to proclaim and to usher in the kingdom, to reconcile men and women to God through his life, death, and resurrection. But we also see that Jesus actively and physically served sinners. And so as we look to Jesus to see what living the mission is, being a minister of reconciliation is, yes, it is preaching the good news, proclaiming the gospel that others would be healed spiritually, but it is much, much more than that as well. It is living out this reconciliation because reconciliation with God produces reconciliation with one another as the people of God. And so, see, the Apostle John, he puts it this way in 1 John 3, in verses 16 through 18. He says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. The Christian faith, this ministry of reconciliation, is to be preached, to be proclaimed, to be declared, not only with our mouths, but with our lives as well. In the middle of everyday life, in the brokenness that is around us, we love in deed and in truth. We, we proclaim and implore others to be reconciled to God, and then we also show them the tangible evidence of that reconciliation by exhibiting his love through us. We get involved in our communities. We, we get this. We know and serve our neighbors. We love our families well in order that we would reflect this shining light of the glorious kingdom of God that pushes back against the darkness. See, living the mission is living a life that's about others in a world that is all about self. In a society um, that, that is all about putting our significance first, when we look to Jesus, we see the example to count others as more significant than ourselves. See, we live as ambassadors for Christ, yes, by declaring and proclaiming the good news of Jesus on Sundays, but we live it out on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. And we do this by simply doing good to those around us. Whatever happened to that? We're kind to people. We're compassionate we, we weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. And get this, not just the people we agree with. Not just the people that we understand because we look like them or we act like them. But people that are different than us as well. We help the poor. We reach out to the sick, the prostitute. That we take care of the widow and the orphan. We, we welcome the sojourner, the foreigner, the refugee. We love and pray for our enemies and we stand by the truth of the gospel against social injustices of our day. You have these opportunities every day of your life, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your community, in your workplace, all around the world. And, and yes, it looks different for, for, for different people, right? It's gonna look different for the guy with an eight to five job than the stay-at-home mom or, or, or the you know, single college student than the, than the big professional with the corner office. But, but the theme is the same. The, the, the strategy is the same. The, 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 while God has equipped all of us differently with various gifts, this, this beautiful diversity of the church, and, and not all of us have these big personalities or these speaking abilities to draw this huge crowd, he though has empowered all of us 
through the faithful work of Christ and the Holy Spirit to live lives that draw others, attract others to Christ. If you are in Christ, this is the call on your life. It is not meant only for the super spiritual, the elite, the pastors, the church staff members, but for all who have been in Christ, who have placed their faith in him and have been filled by the Holy Spirit are called to participate in this glorious mission of making God known throughout the earth. And I know, I know it, I know it. Many of you are like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is too much. I can't do this. I don't even know where to start with this. I'm gonna mess this up. I hear you, so please hear me. Please hear me on this. You don't know where to start? Simple, open God's word. Ask the Holy Spirit to convict and, and, and to reveal, like give you clarity and, and knowledge. Look to the life of Jesus and see what he did in our world and then just take a step outside and see the brokenness. There's lots of work to be done. Lots of work. And then secondly, about you messing this up, you're right, you're gonna mess it up. You are. You're gonna say dumb stuff. You're gonna offend people. Right? You're going to not love people well in certain situations because you know why? Serving other people is messy and hard and difficult. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. But here's what's key. I want you to hear this so much. We're not winning people to our own perfection. We're winning people to the perfection of Christ. That God knows you're going to mess up. He knows that. And that's why he sent Christ to be sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. He's not calling you to be perfect. He's calling you to live by faith in what he has called you to do. See, think about it. Like if God can overcome your sin, surely he can overcome the dumb statement you make. Surely he can overcome our weird social skills. Surely he can overcome, you know, our, our harshness at times or our inabilities to do things. Brothers and sisters, let's, let's not buy into this lie of using our weaknesses to shy away from what God wants to do in and through us and has called us to because God wants to use you in your weakness that he might display his glorious strength and power and grace in your life. That, that God is, is reaching a hostile world, not through professionals, not through professionals, but through regular, everyday, ordinary people that are living out their joy in him. See, it's not just that we invite people to these attractional, evangelistic events that, that have the, the cool speaker that's really funny and the, and the great worship band and, and have, you know, the lighting and the ambiance. They got the good coffee. Like, they don't have, you know, like that Folgers. They got the Starbucks coffee. And, you know, it's not that we just invite everybody to these attractional evangelistic events. It's that our lives are the attractional evangelistic event. Living the mission is about knowing who we are as a new creation in Christ, that, that the place where we will find true fulfillment in life is as a representative of God's glory, fighting the good fight in the trenches of everyday life. And yet so many of us settle for the sideline. So many of us are too busy storing up treasures here on earth that will one day be dust. And we wonder why our faith feels flat. We wonder why we don't feel the presence of the Lord. We wonder why we don't have actual joy and satisfaction. We, 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 we wonder why when we pray, it feels like we're just talking to a ceiling or a wall. It's because you were made for something so much better than you're living for. 
you get to be a minister of reconciliation. You get to be a part of God's redemptive plan. And you settle for the comfort and ease and security and all the other junk that this world tries to sell you. Yes, I'm not going to lie to you. Being a minister of reconciliation is difficult. It's going to require you to be uncomfortable. It's going to require you to get your hands dirty. It's going to require you to give up this false notion that somehow we control our safety and our security or that, or that life is all about our own comfort. But when you do that, oh, will you be free. Oh, will you be free. And know more profoundly and deeply the joy and satisfaction that comes from God's grace. Oh, that God would crush our dreams of ease and comfort and security in this life that are blinding us from the truth of joy and satisfaction that is found as a new creation in Christ, as a minister of reconciliation as we fight and struggle and toil for God's glory to be made known, knowing that every, every uncomfortable thing, every bit of affliction and suffering, every part of that is preparing us for glory. Oh, that we would not be driven by the fear of man, but by the fear of the Lord. By the power of God's reconciliation in our own lives, that we would begin to walk in step with who God has made us to be. That we would be secure in who we are as representatives, ambassadors, ministers of reconciliation. People who God is making his appeal to others through. When I was little... I love to be different characters. If you've been in youth ministry with me, you know this story, but I love to be different characters. Like, and I genuinely thought I was those characters. So, you know, I'd pretend to be uh, Davy Crockett, Santa Claus, uh, a 101 Dalmatian, uh, uh, Rocky Balboa. Um, an interesting one was Deion Sanders. Um, I had my Cowboys helmet on, and, and all they had was a number eight jersey, but I wasn't going to be no stinking Troy Aikman. He's lame. I was going to be... Deion Sanders, so I put that bandana underneath the helmet. You know what I'm talking about? I was prime time, baby. That's who I was. So my favorite, though, to this day is Zorro. Man, I love me some Zorro. Anybody some Zorro fans? Yeah, we do. We got some. Good. You know what's up. So, I mean, Mask of Zorro, that's the best movie ever made, in my, in my opinion. But anyways, we'll get to the story. So, you know, I, I think of these characters, right? And I go to my Grammy, and I say, Grammy, can you make me a costume? She says, sure, sweetie. She made me a costume. And that's who I was, right? So we're in the, in the food court at the mall one day, and, and I'm, you know, I'm Zorro, right? And I'm fighting off invisible bad guys so that, you know, like people can eat lunch in peace. And I'm like, you're welcome. Zorro was here, right? And so, uh, and then I go to my Grammy, and I look at her, and I'm like, did you see their faces? They really think I'm Zorro. <laughs> like, that's just... That was my mindset, my thought process. Like, everybody's in on the game, right? Everybody thinks I'm Zorro. I was so secure in these characters that when I was a 101 Dalmatian, I would go outside, hike my leg, and pee on the side of the house. <laughs> I'm just crazy, guys. I don't know. And, and so as I close up here, I, I, I tell you those embarrassing stories of myself. For one, for you to make fun of me later. But two, more importantly, to ask you, who are you? What does your life say you are? How does your everyday lifestyle speak to what you truly believe? What are you doing with the opportunities that God puts in front of you to be a minister of reconciliation in your everyday life? How are you doing with this? I get it. I, I know this is hard. 
I know this is a struggle. I know it's difficult to love people and encourage people and serve people. There's so much brokenness. So I want to end by simply encouraging you in this this morning, that where you lack in this, Jesus extends grace, forgiveness. He has given you the power of the Holy Spirit to pick you back up and let you live this out. I want you to, to understand and, and to know and be, to be in awe of this new life you have in Jesus today. That, that you, you have reconciliation with God. That, that you would be captured by the, the blessings of this new life in Christ. I want you to see the fierce affection of the Lord your Father has for you who are his children. That, that yes, God is just and he is judge and he is coming back with wrath and he is all powerful and he is all knowing and he is to be feared but he is also our loving and merciful father. I wonder what living the mission would be like in our lives and what kind of joy we would possess if we become captured by the warm embrace of our father each day knowing that, that, guys, he knew our sin. He knew our rebellion before we were even born. And he sent Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He has purchased you by the blood of his son on the cross, that you would be free from sin and death, that you have joy in this invitation to join him in this grand, majestic story of him reconciling sinners to himself. And so if we're truly gonna live the mission in our everyday lives, what we need more of is the Father in our everyday lives. That he would motivate us, that he would push us, that we'd be captured by the glory of the Father in Jesus Christ, that we might find the freedom needed to live out our joy in him as a minister of reconciliation amongst those that are around us. I'm gonna give us some time to pray as the band comes up, and I just want you to ask the Father in this moment, whether you are a believer or not, to, to give you a, a, a glimpse, to, to, to help you be in awe of what he has done for you in Christ. Would you just take some time and pray about this? I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, you have a chance to respond in any way that you would like. There will be prayer partners down here if you want to talk to somebody. Um, we're going to sing a little bit, and so you can go in a prayer room if you'd like to uh, by yourself. You can get on your knees. You can be on your face. Whatever the Lord's telling you to do, you have that option here. So, Father, we, Father, we thank you. We thank you for what you have done for us in Christ. Father, that we are now sons and daughters, that we are heirs with Christ, that we have an inheritance, that we are members of the kingdom of God. Father, you have taken us who are sinful and wretched and, and, and messed up, and you have come and you have reconciled us to yourself. Father, I pray for the person in here that doesn't know you today, that they would hear the good news of the gospel, that you do not look on them and judge them according to their trespasses any longer, but you look on them with favor, that you have sent your son to be sin for them who knew no sin, 
that in him that they might become the righteousness of you. Father, would you help them and give them the power and the strength to believe. Father, would you take people into your kingdom today, in this moment, in this time. Father, I pray for the rest of us that we might learn to, to delight in you and enjoy you, that we might live out who you have made us to be, that your glory would be shown um, not just in our homes, not just in our community, not just in our neighborhood, but throughout the entire world, Father. Would you do that work in us today? Father, will you come and do the work that only you can do today in us? We pray all this in your name, amen.